We're up to chapter 22. And we really just finished a unit. We're in the middle of one unit. But last chapter, 21, finished the unit that we began in chapter 20, which was the idea of the unity of Hashem. And it is something that we really have to struggle to work at. At whatever level we get it at, we have to struggle all over again to get it again at a deeper level. It's like, it's like the thing of life. We're just going to have to, as much as we get it, we're going to have to dig in and dive in and revisit it and understand it again. But let's remind ourselves why we came to this place in Tanya that we were discussing the unity of Hashem. The concept that there's no other, um, not just that there's no other authority besides Hashem, but there is actually no other existence besides for Hashem. Hashem is the only reality. We were coming to this realization because we wanted to um, trigger our super conscious. We were trying to super trigger this realization in our superconscious because in chapter 18 we learned that love for Hashem is not something that we have to create. Well, I don't, take that back. We do have to create it. There's two relationships that we have with Hashem. One level of relationship we have with Hashem is the one that we create mentally and then trigger emotionally. And we're never absolved from that. As much as we can, we have to get to know Hashem recognize him and the more we realize the more we feel our, our heart responds to what our mind understands can you just repeat that again so that which that part relationship oh. is what? one that you create by using your intellect to trigger your emotions we need to you whatever we have we need to use to serve Hashem and our mind we have to use in order to understand Hashem till Hashem becomes so real to us that our heart responds, and we have this created relationship with Hashem. And the benefit of this kind of relationship is that it pervades our personality. Once you really understand that, you, you just act differently. It's like um, how much understanding affects our emotions. It's like the, the example that I love to give, and I know I've given it so many times, but I'll use it again. Hi, Chelsea, welcome. Hi. So my childhood friend's mother had a book in the house, and on the front of the book was this delicious looking ice cream with a cherry on top. Looks so good, you almost wanted to pull it off the front of the book and eat it. Then you open up the front page of the book, and it says the picture that you see on the front cover of the book is not actually, as you might think, ice cream with a cherry on top, rather it is a blocked artery with the blood trying to push through. <coughs> so now, the new knowledge that you have, the new knowledge that you have, <laughs> so good to see you. The new knowledge that you have changes your emotional reaction. The first time you were looking at the picture, you were looking at this delicious ice cream, and you're like salivating, you want to eat it. Then you have a new knowledge. This is not ice cream. This is a blocked artery. This is fat and this is blood trying to push through. Now you're looking at the picture and the picture does not create any delight for you. In fact, it creates just the opposite. It creates disgust. Mm -hmm. And this is what our mind does for us. When we understand something deeply, our heart responds and we have a relationship differently and accordingly. So this is the relationship that we create with Hashem based on our mind accessing our heart. But then, we have to understand, because the Torah tells us, Moshe tells us in the Torah, 
that it's very, very near to us to serve Hashem with our mouth and with our heart that we may do it. If he would have just said, it's very accessible for you, you can serve Hashem in your behavior, then we would say, okay, I can align my behavior with Hashem and internally I have a whole other world going on. But that's not what he said. Moshe said, it's very near to you that you should serve Hashem in your heart. That means that you have a real relationship with Hashem, that your identity speaks this way, that this is who you are. Your relationship with Hashem is not something, it's not Judaism in one compartment, and then I drive down the block and I'm somewhere else, or I go you know, to my, my private chambers and I'm somebody else. This is exactly who I am in every space that I am. Moshe said it's very, very accessible to us. So to say that meditation is so accessible, it's a little bit of a far stretch to say that it's very, very accessible. So here's the secret that we were introduced to in chapter 18, and that is that we actually don't have to create the love. We do, and that's for one aspect of our relationship, but we have an inborn love already that we are born with. A Jewish person has a divine soul. This divine soul is literally a part of Hashem above. And the nature of this soul is like the nature of a candle that is constantly trying to escape the wick. When it tries to escape the wick, it literally is going to self-annihilate. It's not going to be existent anymore. And yet, it desires that anyway. Why? You can't explain it. It's just the teva, the nature. What is nature? Nature is something that we could explain the what, but we can't explain the why. And that's the nature of our divine soul. It constantly wants to leave and escape, even if it's going to lose its identity as it is. Nevertheless, it just wants to be one with Hashem. And we've seen throughout the ages, Jewish people, and again, the Alter Rebbe in chapter 18 is proving the greatness of the Jewish people, not through their great people. He's not bringing Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as an example. He's not bringing Moses as an example. He's bringing the thieves and all the criminals. And he's saying, look at these people and see how Jewish people are different and special. How are they different and special? Because at the time when a Jew is being put to a test of faith, time and time again throughout history, Jewish people have died rather than give up their relationship with Hashem. They were not listening to Hashem their whole life. They were doing bad things as if they had no relationship. And all of a sudden they were put to a test. And for the most part, Jewish people, no matter how low they were spiritually, gave up their life instead of relinquishing their relationship with Hashem. It's a phenomenon. It's something that we can't even understand. It's just something that's essential to who we are. So now we have like this spiritual dissonance going on. It's something so interesting that happens to us. Like we can look at the story recounted in the Talmud and we can laugh, but it happens in our own life too. The Talmud says, That means that a thief, before he's about to make a steal, when he's just coming into his creep space, the, the hiding, he calls out to God. Are you crazy? Do you believe in Hashem or you don't believe in Hashem? If you believe in Hashem, why are you stealing? Hashem said don't steal and you're stealing. Okay, so then you, but if you don't believe in Hashem, then why are you praying? But there's this dissonance going on because faith is something that super conscious, but it does not inform his everyday personality. So this is the, the condition that we're trying to deal with here, and we're trying to bring ourselves to a very strong awareness that everything I do should be pervaded with this consciousness that I would suddenly become aware of if I was put to that test. So how is the Alter Rebbe doing this for us? He's now telling us, he gave us this groundbreaking realization. 
that what are the commandments that we were about to die for? Those were the first two of the Ten Commandments. I always forget if I turned it on or not. Those are the first two of the Ten Commandments. What are the first two of the Ten Commandments? Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am God your God. Lo Yielcha Elokim Acherim, you shall have not any you shall not have any other gods. These two commandments, these first two of the Ten Commandments, are the commandments that every Jew would be dying for. Now the Altarba says like this. You see these two commandments, these ones that you would be dying for, the ones that are so intertwined with your soul that all of a sudden if you touch those, a bomb explodes. Guess what? The first one. I am God, your God, includes all of the positive mitzvahs. And the second one, you shall not have any other gods, includes all of the negative mitzvahs. Now, how is that, right? So you can say very simply, this is on a simple level, and this is not what we're saying here. Very simply, in order to keep the mitzvahs, you first have to accept Hashem. If you don't believe in God, why would you be doing mitzvahs? But that's not just what we're saying here. What we're saying here is that in, oh, in essentially, every single mitzvah is an expression, every single positive mitzvah is an expression of I am God, your God. How is that? And every single negative mitzvah, we have so many copies. Anybody else need? Any, any, any negative commandment is an expression of, a prohibition is an expression of you shall not have any other gods. Not just because as a premise to keep Torah and mitzvahs, you have to accept God. But actually, they are all expression of but these two commandments. And that's why the Talmud says that we, it's like we got the whole Torah from Hashem, even though we only heard the first two from Him, because, because they encapsulate everything. Now, how? So that's what the Alter Rebbe started in chapter 20. He said, if you really want to understand this, you need to first understand the idea of achdus Hashem, the unity of Hashem. What is the unity of Hashem? The unity of Hashem means that not only is there not any other God or authority besides Hashem, there actually is no other reality outside of Hashem. And we were trying to really make it so relevant to us. Hi, welcome, good morning. So relevant to us that we had to look in our own experience and find that within ourselves so we can relate to it. And we said like this, what is a word in our own experience, not how it affects somebody else outside of us? One utterance of ours. What is it already? Think about one word and think about your power to articulate. Your power to articulate is infinite. You can say infinite words. The only reason why you can't say infinite words is because of the limitations of the body. But potentially, your soul can say an infinite amount of words. So take the one utterance, compare it to infinity. One compared to infinity is nothing. And we said, okay, you think that's nothing? Wait, now compare it to your power of thought. Thought is what creates and gives life to words. Compare the one utterance and to your thought and see how that compares. You say, wow, I thought that was nothing. This is really nothing. You say, oh yeah, you think that's nothing? But now compare one word to who you are essentially, where it's prelingual, you don't even have any words. Your very identity, your intellect, your emotion, the way you understand, the way you feel, the one utterance that you said compared to the total of who you are, just the one word, not for somebody outside of yourself, for yourself, the one word for yourself compared to who you are, it's nothing. That's, and what is creation already? Creation is but one word. It's an utterance of Hashem. Okay? Creation is one utterance. It says, Bidvar Hashem Shemaim Nasu. By the word of Hashem, the heavens were created. Okay? So if we want to understand what creation is, let's understand what a word is. A word compared to the essence of the speaker is nothing. 
So then we understood that, but then we're left with the question. Okay, I get it. A word is nothing. But once you have spoken the word, then the word becomes something. So maybe creation relating to Hashem is nothing. But let's consider it apart from Hashem. Creation apart from Hashem. It's significant, I would think. So that's what chapter... 21 came to correct that perception of ours because we think of a word only within our own experience when a human being says a word he cannot but separate that word from himself part of expressing expressing yourself part of creating this act of revelation is separation every word by the fact that you reveal something that's going on inside of yourself also means you are taking something and creating a new entity that is now apart from you and maintains its own existence. It was yours for, us. for yeah, from, for from us. us. No, even yeah. first from us. As a human being, when we say a word, that word was within us. But once that word has emerged, it now has a separate identity. We don't own it anymore. It's like, you know, the saying, before you said it, you were the master over the word. But once you said it, the word became the master over you. So we can think and say, one second, creation in relation to Hashem is nothing but what after it's taken on its own existence. So that's what chapter 1 came to tell us. That chapter 21 came to tell us. That in our experience, when we say a word, it becomes separate from us. But Hashem lays asar panuimine. The Zohar tells us there is no space devoid of Him. For us, we cannot reveal ourselves without creating also a separation from ourselves. But in the divine experience, it's something completely different. And that is that even after Hashem has uttered the word, the word is not separate from Him, it still remains subsumed within Him. So now we're looking at the word. Not as it already has emerged. We're looking at the word as it exists within the intellect and the emotions of the person. Now, one minute, we said there are no words within the intellect and the emotion of the person. But yes, they're there in possibility. They just have no identity of their own at that point. Just like the sun that has rays. But if, you're gonna, if, if the sun gives off rays, if it gives off this light, it must be within the body of the sun. And yet you'll come to the body of the sun, you will not find rays. Are you going to say there are no rays in the sun? That's the source of the rays. There has to be rays in the sun. The thing is that when it's in its source, it assumes no separate identity. When it's within the sun, we don't say rays. We say sun. And that's how it is with creation. The word that Hashem spoke has never left him. And so although it is an act of revelation, it's not an act of separation. It is still within its source and maintains no separate identity. That's how the worlds are absolutely as if nothing and valueless and insignificant because they're still within the body of Hashem. At the end of last chapter, we said this idea that Hashem is within the worlds and he fills all the worlds and he's the only existence and creation has not maintained, made any separation within him, that's true from Hashem's part. But from us, the created beings, we see things differently. Already we see, we feel ourselves as though the word has left him. We don't realize that the word is still a part of him. We feel like the word has left him and it has taken on a separate identity. So this chapter is now going to take this idea of the unity of Hashem, 
that we make, that we established in chapters 20 and 21, that there's no other existence besides Hashem. And we're going to examine what does it mean then to deny Hashem's existence. We want to know what that means because we want it to resonate so deeply that we would never want to do any Avera ever. We're going to realize that doing this Avera means going against the unity of Hashem. We would never ever want to do that. So that's where we are right now, chapter, 20, chapter 22. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you had a question. So listening to your tape last week, what helped me realize what all this is, is the example of the rays of the sun. So within the sun, rays don't mean anything. Creation within Hashem doesn't mean anything. It's just that we are on the opposite side seeing what we are seeing. So we before creation, creation existed basically within Hashem. It's just that we weren't there to see or perceive. <coughs> creation is nothing, is that correct? Right, creation is Hashem's revealing his powers, which for were already there. But for us, it, it has become, for, it, for us, it feels like something separate has happened. Now, it's going it's to get a little. Um, you're, it's going to get paradoxical. You're going to have to stretch the limits of your intellect. I shouldn't say you. We are going to have to stretch the limits of our intellect. And we're just going to kind of sit with it and try to expand on it so we get it. Because it's just, just wait till you see what's coming. You had a question, Cashin? Or you got it? I got it. Okay. Yes, thank you. So it's being on the opposite side of a mirror? or the Right. That's what we said last week. We said last week about the one-sided mirror. How, just, that, was just, that was something of an analogy. It's not the most perfect analogy. Like the whole thing is in was within Hashem. It's just that we weren't there to realize. That's right. What was it? Was it uh, Plato or uh, the cave? And the world is a reflection. Mm-hmm. Who is that? It is, Plato. It is yes. Plato. You've heard that, right? Plato? No. She doesn't do Greek. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> They've taken they a lot God from us. Is from us. Yeah, They've taken a, a, a lot of they feel like. So they mm-hmm. say that uh, the world is a cave. Plato said the world is a cave, and it's just a shadow of another reality manifesting itself on the wall of the cave. And we're looking at these shadows of its, its reality, but it's actually the shadows, the byproduct of the alternate reality, which but is the same thing as the so mirror. So Plato didn't have this, the terminology the that we have. as the mirror. Plato didn't have the terminology that we have, because today you can do like, you know, where they have these movies, and there's the, or like IMAX, and you're experiencing something that's just Reading. the shadows, if, if you were, over the light that's coming out. Right. But uh, um, we'll keep Plato in his Greek books. <laughs> 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 but it's the same. No, right. But it's the same. Right. Whatever they got. Did I did I tell you that story? And I, this is really a powerful story. And it's the story of Jewish pride, also. Um, so Rabbi Yossi Jacobson, he's a pretty famous speaker. Did I tell you the story? No. Oh, oh, he's fantastic. And he was um, actually invited to speak at the Pentagon. He spoke for four thousand. Um, what do you call them? Like the Jealous. chaplains. Oh. He was the first Jewish person ever to address this audience. Rabbi Yassi Jacobson. Now, he um, spoke so beautifully that after his speech, the general, who is, um, I think he's a Baptist, is that what he is? He, he wanted to compliment him. So after this profound, moving, just 
you know, shell shocker of a speech that had everybody, you know, amazing applause. He said to Rabbi Jacobson, he said, you know, Rabbi Jacobson, you must have learned by us. You must have learned by the past. <laughs> That's so funny. And everybody, like, you know, gave a chuckle because he was trying to him it was a compliment. You know, we identify with you so deeply. We love how you speak so much. You, you, you must have. Now, he said what was going on in his mind, all these expanded words was happening literally in, in like a nanosecond. And he's like, okay. I mean, he meant it as a compliment. But Jews have given up their life throughout the generations, never to be called anything other than Jewish. In, back in the day, his grandfather, his great-grandfather probably died, thank you so much, so as not to be called Baptist. And here he's just going to let the guy call him a Baptist. And then he's like, well, what am I going to say? No, I'm not a Baptist. It's just not going to sound good. All of a sudden, he turned to him and he said, no, General Carver, you guys copied us. And he said, at that moment, the entire audience got up and gave him a standing ovation. A standing ovation. Non-Jews? Non-Jews. Wow. And he said, that moment taught him that when we are comfortable with who we are, they are happy with who they are. But we're like, become apologetic and meek. So, so no, Plato took it from us. <laughs> but the point of the story is, though, that you know, everybody has a mission. Jewish people have their unique mission, and we need to be proud of our mission and not apologetic or meek. But you know, let's call a spade a spade. Well, I mean, like the teachers were supposed to be the teachers. That's right, the light unto the nations. So now we're going to reexamine the word. Well, this wasn't Hakdam because Shahakol Nihabitvaro means everything has come into existence by the word of Hashem. That's, that's the blessing that we say when we drink water. <laughs> so it's reminding us what we're learning that everything comes into existence by the word of Hashem. So we're saying, okay, we can think now that the word Hashem, this divine power, right? Hashem, when Hashem speaks, the words that Hashem says. This power of speech, it's not a physical power of speech like we have a power of speech. It's something of an analogy. We have this, we look at ourselves, we understand what speech is, and then we understand something of the divine power, what is speech. So the divine power of creation is the power that we call speech. We could say it's similar to human speech only in this most important property, the property of being an act of revelation. But when it comes to being an act of separation, at this point, it's not similar. And now the altar is going to turn everything we know on its head. So get ready. <laughs> kind of just going to have to let go. Rak shehatayra dibra kilashem b'nei adam. V'nikra batayra diburay shal makayim baruchu b'shem dibur mamish kidiburay shal adam. Yet the Torah employs human language. And in the Torah, the word of God is actually called speech, like the speech of a human being, which is characterized by separation from the speaker, indicating that in some way at least, Hashem's word is also separated from him. For truth, it is so that Hashem's word is separated from him, not indeed in respect to himself, but only with respect to the various creations, as will soon be explained. And this separation comes about by the way of the descent and flow of the life force to the lower planes. So although Hashem's word never separates from him, to us, 
it has become separated. And look at the words of the Alter Rebbe over here. He says, Because actually it is so. We're not just saying that it's an illusion and we're living in an illusion. We're saying that it's a reality. The fact that Hashem spoke and His words became separate, separate from Him from our perspective is actually a true perspective. Because if we are not going to say that, if we're going to say based on everything we learned until now, that it's all an illusion and everything is subsumed within Hashem and there's nothing that's separate from Him in any way, shape, or form, then we're left with a massive question, which we brought up last week towards the end of class. And that is, then what is the point of our service or mission in life? Our mission in life is th that there are certain things that are holy. There are certain things that are not holy. There are certain things that are even impure. And it's our mission as Jewish people. Jewish people have a mission of holiness. Humankind has a mission of goodness. Jewish people have a mission on top of that, and that is the mission of holiness. And that is to take the mundane, that which seemingly is just physical and dense and does not show the divine, and bring the divine into it so it becomes holy. So now, in order for us to accomplish that, there has to be something that we call holy and something that we call mundane. And if everything is just Hashem, without this act of separation ever happening, then how would there be anything mundane? There's nothing mundane. Everything is holy. So the author was correcting us from thinking that and saying, no, this act, although nothing ever left Hashem, still this act of creation that we perceive as being separation actually is so and both perspectives are true okay so the perspective that there is nothing outside of Hashem when we speak we have to make separation there is no other way intertwined inextricably intertwined with expression verbal expression means separation you cannot express reveal what's going on inside of you to outside of yourself without creating a separate entity from the divine perspective, it's not so. There is nothing outside of Hashem. There's nothing outside of Hashem. So this perspective is 100% true, that Hashem speaks, and yet nothing ever leaves Him. But then we have to look at our perspective as creative beings. As creative beings, we indeed perceive the word of Hashem as we perceive our own speech. What is our own speech? Our own speech is an act of separation. And we say, yes, Hashem is the source of creation, but creation has left Him, God forbid. And yet... This perspective is true too. These two perspectives are true at the very same time. That creation has never left Hashem, that there's nothing outside of Hashem, and yet that there has been some form of act of separation. Now to really, really understand this, it's very deep. There's deep Kabbalistic principles involved, and, and we're not going to exhaust it. And we're not even going to get there. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's, for, for the practical purpose of our chapter, we're just going to leave it as it is to understand to handle this paradox in our mind. That on one hand, nothing ever left Hashem, and yet from our perspective, that there has been a separation, there's a truth to that perspective. You know, there's, there's certain paradoxes that we can't just get like that. You know, think of quantum mechanics. But the more you, the more you delve into the subject, although you won't exhaust it, you're going to come to a greater realization and understanding of it. Okay, so in truth it is so. This descent is accomplished through many powerful contractions, with each successive contraction increasingly veiling the divine life force. And these contractions are various kinds in order that many diverse creatures may be created through them. So we said last week 
that in order for there to be any revelation, Hashem had to hide himself. And we said that even the concealment is Hashem. The terminology that the Alter Rebbe used was from the Talmud, and it said, which means like that snail or that turtle whose very concealment is part of himself. Hashem hu ha'elokim. The name of Hashem that is transcendent is the same as the name of Hashem that conceals. They both are expression of Hashem. How does revelation come about? Through constriction. And this is very paradoxical. Think of it like this. In order to... Hashem constricted himself through the act of creation. There has been a constriction. So we think of constriction as being a limitation. We think of it only as constriction, but actually... In order for there to be a revelation, there had to be constriction. So although constriction is constriction, it also paradoxically is what enables revelation. There could not be revelation without constriction, okay? Because of our perspective, not again. Because, right, from our perspective. And from our perspective, being that we're limited, we couldn't handle more than we can handle. Giving too much means giving nothing at all. It's like the sounds that are beyond our range of hearing. They are silent to us. Or the colors, or I can't call them colors, but the electromagnetic uh, energies that are beyond our scope of vision, they are colorless to us. We can't see them. Whatever's beyond our vessels just does not exist for us. And therefore, in order for us to receive any revelation, Hashem constricted His light to suit the vessels of creation. The yeah, to yeah, suit the it. vessel of yeah. creation. There's and the crazy. There are some creations, some creatures that can discern those colors and waves and sounds. That's right. And there are some creatures that are more in tune to godliness than others. So to suit the, ve- to suit the vessels of each creature, that's the, creature. That's the, uh, the level of symptom. Right. But more than us, <coughs> we have different. Yeah. yeah. We're able to handle more. But even as you. Because we are human, we are constricted. Anything that is created is constricted. Angels are constricted too. So whatever is, whatever is part of the creation receives just enough that it could handle and no more. Each to suit its own vessels. But he allowed us in this day and age, and not, and not that long ago, to, have, to, to create tools that enable us to extend that. Isn't that incredible? And it's a, blessing. It's, it's, a, it's a sign of the times, because at the end of days, there will be no more constriction. So this advancement in technology that we're able to start to perceive things that we weren't able to perceive anymore is a sign of the times. It's a reflection of what's going on in the upper spheres that eventually all this is going to melt away. Constriction is here for a purpose, but once that purpose is served, it no longer longer is... But the constrictions are what? The different constrictions are what created... It's not. not. The different constrictions are what created different beings by the level of constriction. So human beings had like less constriction and let's say to create animals you had to do even more constriction to create that animal. So the different, you know, Not the different necessarily a dog can hear that high octave yeah. that we don't. But just different. You're talking about spiritually. Different, different, but here's the, here's the here's the crazy thing. This is the funny thing. Okay? So the passage from revelation through constriction paradoxically creates multitudes it's like you know you think this 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 constriction right it's concealing revelation and what does it do the constriction of revelation creates many 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 things many wars many beings many creations it's like 
the passage of, one second, the passage of Chochmah to Bina. Think of that for a minute, okay? What is Chachma? We learned about Chachma, that Chachma is that the complete picture in a, in a flash. It's not, it's, a com, it's not a composite entity. It's a whole essential something that cannot be separated. It's that vital seed. Chachma is that flash. It's that complete gestalt of the idea that's not been separated. Now you have this brilliant idea, and now you have to express it in words. To express that brilliant idea in words now becomes many, many words, many forms. Rabbi Steinzalt says that there have been many people, even great people, who their, their whole life they only had one idea. And their entire life, all the books that they wrote, all the classes that they taught were to explain that one nucleus, that seed of the idea. So here, contraction, con- symptom, we're going to call it symptom. Symptom is contraction. Contraction is limiting of Hashem's light. But the funny thing about this limiting of Hashem's light is it creates many various and, and forms. There's all different types of creatures and creations just because of the symptom. So it's actually an act of constriction. Qualitatively, it's been so, so diminished. But quantitatively, it's been, there's been multiplicity and expansion just because of the symptom. If he didn't, if he didn't like when he was talking to us when he was giving the Ten Commandments, so, so you're saying that the revelation that he gave us at Mount Sinai was beyond our capacity, and therefore we died. Like and, right, and, and that's why, and that's why we can't, and that's why we can't. Eventually, we will be able to. And it's, what did he, what did he revive them with at that time, with the the tal, the no. dew that he will revive the dead with when Mashiach comes, and that dew is called tal Torah, the dew of Torah. By studying Torah, we in strengthen ourselves and our souls that eventually, when Mashiach comes, we'll be able to maintain our individuality and still be able to handle that type of revelation. But that's exactly what we saw. What we saw at Mount Sinai, we saw, we saw at that time that Hashem is God and there's no other existence besides for Him. We actually saw that and that made us die. <laughs> But we actually saw that. What we're learning right now, we didn't just hear about it. We didn't process it intellectually. We actually experienced it through vision. So maybe and we're afraid to know it, to see it, to experience it. That we might happened. die. Because that's what happened at Sinai, that we experience is only, only God and nothing, no other entity at all. And it was too much. No world, just we died. So Maybe it's something we cannot take in. We, we cannot the way we did then, but we will be able, we didn't have the Torah then. Now we have the Torah and we are fortifying ourselves so that we will be able to. But not to get off on a tangent, but you know the story of um, the, the sages wanted to hide the book of Yechezkel, Ezekiel, because a little boy who. I, but I can't talk when other people are talking. I'm sorry. It really disturbs my concentration. Um, uh, there's a story of... There's a story of... Um, there's a story in the Talmud about the sages were going to hide the book of Yechezkel. They were going to hide the book of Yechezkel because there was a little boy learning, and it said the word chashmal, 
in the vision of Ezekiel, and he died. And so the sages said, no, 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 we need to hide this book. We can't have this book out anymore. How did he die? Because he understood the meaning of the word chashmal. And um, along came... Electricity. Uh, <laughs> along came... It's, it's, it's referring to angels, the chash and mal. Sometimes they are quiet and sometimes they are speaking. Oh. But the, he actually <laughs> perceived it in, in, oh, the, you know, in a very... The real way, the most real way. And... Um, now I forget the name of the sage who saved Yechaskel, the book of Yechaskel, and he said, although he is wise, as everybody as wise as he, like nothing to worry about, nobody's going to read the book and get what Chashmal means. So I, I hear your suggestion that, um, you know, possibly people don't want to learn enough because they may, you know, cease to be and be over, right, but for the most part, that's not happening to, to us. What's wrong with the essence of the word and understanding it deeply? There's nothing wrong with it, except Hushmah. his, his uh, physical, it was beyond his, the, the capabilities of his physical being. His physical being couldn't handle that kind of revelation. Mashiach will come, and our physical being will be able to handle that type of revelation. So, Indeed, so great and powerful are their contractions and the concealment of the supernal countenance, meaning the inner deeper aspect of the divine force is so heavily veiled that even unclean things and klipites and the sitra achra can come into being and be created. No amount of contraction could give rise to klipites. Even at its lowest level, the divine life force would not ordinarily produce creations that deny God. It is the quality and intensity of the tzimtzumim rather than their numerousness that permits the klipites to come into being. So let's stop at this for a minute, okay? What is symptom? Symptom is the act of contraction, veiling, right? So let's take symptom in a normal human setting. This brilliant teacher has his student that he loves who's a small child, and he wants to, his child to understand. Now, he can't teach his wisdom as it is because it's like he's telling him nothing. Maybe even more than telling him nothing, he's confusing him. So what does he do for the student? He takes this brilliant idea and he clothes it in very, very simple terms. So now the little child understands to some degree, of course not in its entirety at all, not even an iota, but just to some degree he gets the idea. So what's happening is that veils are covering up the initial brilliant idea. It's, he's veiling it so that it can reach the student and he can be absorbed within his mental capacities. But that's not what's happening over here. What's happening over here is that there's not just a, a diminishment of light, it's a complete concealment of light. No amount of, of regular symptom is going to bring about this act of concealment. It's gonna bring about a very minute amount of revelation. But what is bringing about this type of concealment to the point that there could be Kalipa and Sitra Ahwar, the forces of unholiness and impurity? How does that come to be? So the, look at the language of the Alter Rebbe over here, the top sentence, he says, Vekolkach Gavru. He uses the word Gavru, which means they have been powerful. It's a different type of symptom going on over here. It's not your regular kind of symptom. It's the symptom that the Hasidim explain in explaining these ideas, and this comes from the, from the Kabbalah, the idea of Shviras Hakelim. Shviras Hakelim, 
means shattering of the vessels. Shattering of the vessels is an entirely different type of hiding the divine energy than any other type of concealment. So let's take, let's look at our, uh, let's look, take this example that the Hasidim have given. So you take a sentence, right? We'll take the sentence from the prayer. This is the example given of Baruch She'amar Vahaya Ha'olam. That means, blessed is he who spoke and the word, the world came into being. Okay, so now you have a complete sentence. Blessed is he who spoke and the world came into being. Now, what is this sentence? This sentence is something composed of many words. There's the word blessed. It is followed by the word is, he, who, okay? If you will break this sentence apart, it now loses its higher meaning. This sentence conveyed something spiritual and deep and moving. We're praising God. We're blessing the one who spoke and brought the word into exist- the world into existence. You break that sentence apart. Now, blessed means something. Is means something. He means something. But the whole sentence is not there anymore. The higher idea is lost. It's hidden. You don't see it anymore. That's regular symptom. There's still meaning. But the meaning is nothing like the original meaning. You can't even begin to understand what the original meaning is by seeing one word. Then there's a different level of tzimtzum. Instead of breaking the sentence apart, you break a word apart. Take the word baruch. We'll spell it in Hebrew. Bez, reish, vav, chaf. Instead of reading baruch, now you break it up. Now it's... At this point, the lone letter conveys nothing to you. And if it was a word of Torah or prayer, it still will retain some holiness, but you will not know that there's holiness. You will not be able to see the holiness. This is the level of tzimtzum that we call shaviras hakelim, shattering of the vessels. This is the type of tzimtzum that the Alter Rebbe is referring to when he says gavru, they were overpowering. It's not the regular tzimtzum. It's an unbelievable type of tzimtzum that created the possibility for impurity. Okay, Yes, Sitra Achra is Aramaic and it means the other side. And I'm going to expand on that as soon as I finish this one sentence. And to receive their life force and existence from the divine word and the breath of his mouth through the concealment of his countenance and through the downward gradations. So the symptom was so powerful that it even gives life to the Sitra Achra and the Klippais to the point that they receive their life from Hashem through the acts of concealment. So Sitra Achra means, it's Aramaic, and it means Sitra Achra, the other side. Because as we spoke about in earlier classes, you know, when you look at things according to Jewish law, so you'll see the white, you'll see the black, and then there will be the shades of gray. There will be what you have to do, there will be what you may not do, and then there will be... You could if you want to. You don't have to if you don't want to. It's the area of rishus. It's your choice. It's per- you have permission if you want to. Kabbalah doesn't see things that way. Kabbalah sees things as black and white. There's either Sitra de Kedusha, the side of holiness, or Sitra Achra, the other side. There's no in-between ever. And what there is between is what, that within the klipa, there is a level of klipa called klipa snaga, that's the rectifiable klipa. And that level of klipa is really where our work is. Our work is to take this level of klipa that has the possibility to become holy and make it holy. What's the, what term in Hebrew again? 
for klipas noga. 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 And that comes from, the word noga is from the vision of Ichaskel. And it means it has a glow. It has a glow about it. It's, it's, it's not mm. completely opaque as are the other klipas. This klipa has a glow about it. There's, you can still see that there's something of Hashem within this klipa. Noga is also uh, is one of the planets. Star, planet. Which it, planet it is it? Planet or a star? A star. Star. It means. Well, isn't star. one of the planets called Noga? Uh-uh. No. Oh, I thought it was. No, it's, Noga means star. Anyone? Uh, Dini should know. In which land? Noga. 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 Is it In one of the planets? Language. Yeah. What is it? This. Which one? Yeah. It's not a planet, but it means uh, a, a planetary body. Okay. It's where superstar. The came from. <laughs> Venus. That means no. Oh, is it Venus? Not saying Nova. Right? Noga. Oh, no, maybe, Noga. Maybe Noga is Venus, Venus. in uh, another. Okay. okay. So one second. Let's. <coughs> so let's sum up what we said until now. This Noga in Hebrew means glowing. This is the clip of the Venus. Noga is okay. I was gonna say you owe me a coke, but I don't drink coke. <laughs> Both. I'll give you a chocolate. <laughs> You're not wrong though. Which is like Earth is also on the ground. You know, it's our planet. Right. See, okay, forget it. No coke. <laughs> so, no one has hay or hay. So let's sum up what we said until now. And that is that the, the, the existence of Klippa and Sitcharachara has come about through many Tsimtsumim. In the next section, we're going to deal with where do they draw their life force from? How, what gives them their life force and how keeps them in existence? So, um, on, with a story. From our perspective, I'm sorry, what do you say? Our perspective is what gives them. <laughs> You're right. Which gives them no, from, the power. From the, yeah, but which level within the divine? And this is true from any perspective you look at. Where, how do they come into big being? It, Hashem is giving them life. From where, well, Walter was going to tell us. From where in the divine do they get their life force? And I'm going to end with this story, just to bring this, this uh, idea. You so many questions. Okay, yeah, no, we have time for questions. That's why I'm not going to, let's, we used to do it a full hour, and then we stopped, now we stop like 15 or 10 minutes to, toward the end so that everybody can ask questions. We try not to ask questions in the middle of class, but sometimes it's just we just can't help it. <laughs> so um, there's a story of the Ms. Richard Magad, that is the teacher, the mentor of the Alter Rebbe. And his son was actually um, the Chavrusa of the Alter Rebbe, and the Alter Rebbe considered him a teacher of his. He, the son of the Ms. Richard Magad, who was called Rebbe Avraham the Malach, the angel, he, he was so of another world. And his father, the Magad of Mezrich, asked the Alter Rebbe to teach him the revealed parts of Torah, and he should teach the Alter Rebbe secrets of the Torah. This was their arrangement, their Chavrusa arrangement. So when he was a little boy, he was crying. And his father said to him, why are you crying? And he said, well, I'm playing hide and seek, and my friends can't find me. And his father said, well, that's great. You won, right? Isn't that the point? He goes, no, no. I hid so well that nobody's even looking for me anymore. And so the Magid you know, raised his eyes heavenward and said, Hashem, you hid so well that who is even looking for you anymore? You know, Hashem is saying, I hid, but come look for me, you know? So, so that's where we're ending up till now. And if anybody has questions, now it's time for questions. Or Did you answer the question is how anything could be mundane if everything's Hashem and all? So, so we left it at a paradox that 
that it's true. There is mundane, because there has been, as the Altarabah says over here, it actually is true that there has been a separation, and that's why there's something called mundane. There is an existence of something mundane, even though everything, and then from the other perspective, there's nothing outside of Hashem. These are two situations that are true at the very same time. You know the guy that came to the rabbi, one person complained, you know, he made a complaint, and the rabbi says, you're right. And then another guy makes a counter complaint, and he says, you're right. And the third guy says, I don't get it. How could he write, be right and he be right? You say, listen, you're also right. <laughs> but that's the nature. There, there is, there is uh, an answer to this. I can sense it in a way. Another question, you said, Shachakolmi Abibaro. Uh-huh. So were you referring to, or does it refer to uh, just the creation of the world? Or even today, when Hashem wants to change something, heal someone or whatever, he has to speak it. So, you're saying when Hashem wants to change something, he has to speak it. Creation is constantly being renewed. Right, because if he stopped say, speaking the utterances, it would just disintegrate. Just, just exactly, just would cease to be. The natural, cre- the natural state of creation is non-existence, is non-being. The fact that it exists is a miracle. As the Baal Shem Tov says, nature is a succession of miracles. There is a, a professor in uh-huh. Russia uh-huh. who created this technology where you can see the energy around a leaf or around a human being. Aura. Uh, you, actu- you can see the aura. Yeah, you actually see it. And if this energy is taken away, the leaf dies. So. I can send you the video, but uh, it's in Farsi. Okay. Uh, it's less visual, you, though. You can I don't see read Farsi, and but you can also Google his name. Okay. So it's the, the name? way. Maybe that's an Ashana. Uh, Constant. Constant. You can see different colors. And Did that the energy that each person yeah. gives uh-huh. to the other person um, can be calculated. <clears throat> Well, a friend of mine once told me about, like, her relatives that could look at people and they see... Yeah, you do, I did one. Okay. Can you tell us about it? Look. She posted on our family WhatsApp. She, like, she wasn't sure if they were imagining it. She said that her kids are seeing colors around people. I didn't know if it was true. Uh, it, the two of the children are able to say, "Oh my gosh, right?" Is that? Yeah. They're able to. They they both see it. Other yeah. people can't there see it, but they can see it. Do well, see that. Well, yeah. But then I also, a podcast yesterday about this professor at Harvard Medical School, and he is an author and everything, and he has something called mirror touch uh, sensation. I think it's okay. called. Apparently, over one percent of the population has it um, in varying degrees. His is like to an extreme degree where he see someone and whatever they're feeling in their body physically or emotionally he feels within himself mm-hmm. so so much so that like if you're sitting there going like this he'll feel the sensation on his wow. arm or if you have sweat his body won't produce the sweat but he'll feel the sensation of what you're feeling wow. so if you have depression if someone has depression mm-hmm. he'll feel that emotion inside and he says to a degree we all have it like when we see someone you know get hurt we feel like oh yeah. for yeah. them so we have yeah, it definitely all have it and you can work on it but he was born like that naturally. Wow. He became a doctor and he explained how when he was in the hospital he saw somebody pass away and he, he literally like also died and then he felt his body be nothing. Whoa. And then was able to bring himself back. So wow. while we're on the subject of feeling auras and he says that his brain he had what got him to advance in that way was he had a, a brain tumor. It was in, in um, 
blood vessel and everything, the surgery went successful, but where the tumor was, it affects the part of the brain that differentiates between you and someone else. And so that part, they, that's like a blur for him. Oh my God, we oh should go around taking that part away for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that's called so compassion. Yeah. The big component of that is empathy, and that's yeah. kind of the source of all this is being able to empathize with somebody. And it's apparently what you have because if you don't have it, you know someone else who has it to a degree. And wow, it's very interesting. Love to do with auras and colors and all that stuff. Wow. Love, compassion. It's something we know about. We just don't use it. It's a muscle. Exactly. He says we can work on it. Yeah, it's a muscle. It's true. What is a muscle? I was actually wondering what would happen like when I was listening to that. So when Mashiach comes, are we going to tap into that, like seeing each other's true essence a little bit more? We will. When Mashiach comes, we're going to see each other for our true essences. Yeah, but why? Can't but we we're see it now. Essence. We have everything we need. I see everybody's essence. I love everybody. You know, like, why do we have to wait till Mashiach? We don't, well, we have, we have to, to do what we can until Mashiach comes. But as so much as you feel it Mashiach. now, it's going to be to a much greater degree when Mashiach comes because we're limited. We're, it's so we be, are limited. In, in how much we can, right now we're limited. There's still this, there's this condition of the world, that's symptom that we're talking about right now. There's definitely contraction and we all feel it. It's like, it's like our, an ache that we have. And we're limited in our capacity. When Mashiach comes, that's going to be, it's all going to melt away. The present structure as we know it is going to be, we're going to see the truth behind everything. It's no. But it's closer it's to that right now. It's, that's why we're doing these lessons because before you couldn't do these lessons yeah. you had to be over 40 or really well learned in order to even have this platform but today you're on a higher energetic awareness level that's right yes. Chabad decided this if I may ask are they the first ones to take no it? no it's the Ariza already in his time said at this point he said mitzvah legalazos hachachmai the Ariza said because it was just within Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai passed it to his students within an elite circle they were called the Chavraya Kadisha, the Holy Society. And at the time of the Arizal, who, before the Arizal, Zohar was incomprehensible to almost everybody. The Arizal, it still is, but the Arizal elucidated the ideas in the Zohar. And he said, at this juncture in history, it's because he, he was a soul from somewhere else. This juncture in history, it's not because as we approach the new era, it's time to reveal this. It's a mitzvah to reveal this wisdom. I mean, he once, Rizal once fell asleep and he woke up, he was, I think he was laughing and his students asked him, like, what happened in your dream? He said, for me to describe what I just saw will take me 80 years. Why 80 years? I don't know. But the point is, so at, already at that juncture in history, the time of that Rizal, thank you, good to see you, Lolly. At uh, this time in history, uh, at that time in history already, it became um, more spread and until the Baal Shem, the, they were before the Baal Shem Tov, there were other giants, spiritual giants, wandering tzaddikim that were hidden, the tzaddikim nistarim, the hidden tzaddikim, they were also called Baal Shem. This one was this Rabbi Yol Baal Shem, and they had different names, they were called Baal Shem. And then there was the Baal Shem Tov, and he made it ex- accessible literally to the masses. And then came along um, the Alter Rebbe, and he made these ideas accessible not just to our heart, but to our mind. It made, he made it intellectually available. Through Tanya? Through Tanya. And just, not just Tanya, but the, the idea of Chabad Hasidis, not just Tanya, other works of Chabad Hasidis, is that the inspiration is something that you can actually understand. It's not just inspiration that fires up your mind, heart, which is wonderful and has its place, but that you can actually intellectualize and understand it. 
And um, the, the, the quote is, philosophers say, That means if I would know God, I would be God. But the way Hasidus explains it is that if, if you know God, if I will study about God, I will become more like him. So that's for today's class. And I forgot to mention before today's class that I dedicate this class. My brother, his neshama should have an aliyah. We should see him soon in a physical body. So we're, I've been praying wrong for him every day. I've been praying for him to get elevated and... Your sister said, no, 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 pray for him to come back so we can bring Mashiach. Well, definitely pray for him to be elevated. Mm -hmm. But how can he be elevated? At the same time, we were praying for Mashiach, (laughs) and we want him back in a physical body. But yes, we're praying for his neshamba to have an aliyah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you can do both. So it's that's, right. Both. that's right. That's right. Yeah. The Shemma should have an aliyah. So um, when Mashiach comes, I'll shut this off. Yeah. Yeah.